Oh, Father God, I need Thee every hour, but there has never been an hour where I need You more than when I stand before Your people and open up Your Word. And God, I want to tell Your story. A story, an amazing story of how You love and how You rescue and how You love us so much even when all of life falls apart. That you, we know that you love us because you give and you take away. And blessed be your name. But the reality is, God, is I don't have the ability to tell this story the way it should be told. So God, would you be pleased to come and speak through a broken sinner like me? God, would you be pleased to give us ears to hear of your amazing grace and your amazing love and, and how you know the truth about us, but, but you love us anyway? God, would you open up our minds so that we could understand this ancient story in a way that it intersects our own lives? God, would you lovingly soften our hearts so that they could receive this word, this truth, so that they could beat for you? God, would you love us so much today that you would cause us to be able to walk out of here as your sons and your daughters that we would walk in a manner worthy of your great name. Only you could do that. God, the things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion, may they quickly fall away and be forgotten. But God, may the things that are said that contain the good news of Jesus Christ, use those things to make us more like Jesus. And it's in his glorious name we pray. Amen. When was the last time you tried to introduce someone you dearly loved to a group of people that you also dearly loved? And, and maybe it was their first meeting together. Maybe this just happened over this past Christmas holiday. But you start to wonder, how in the world can I tell some people I love, like you, about somebody that I really love, like Ruth? How, how, where do I start? Where do you tell this great story? Because you're nervous that you might not include all the amazing things about this beloved friend. My brothers and sisters, we're about ready to journey. And this journey in Ruth is going to be amazing. I got to tell you, come prepared for God to do earth-shaking, shattering things. Not because I can give you any of that. But because what God has for us in this little book of Ruth, these four little chapters, it truly is earth-shaking. And I know hyperbole, whatever. No, 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 no. We're going to look at three things today in the book of Ruth that should uh, truly amaze us. In this little book of Ruth, we're going to see how God rescues the entire story of the Bible through Ruth how he recalibrates the whole story. The story when Ruth emerges, it looks like the story of the Bible had completely lost its way. I mean, people of God, they were doing terrible things. They were living as if they were no God at all. And, and this Moabite named Ruth and her little story, God uses to redeem the whole Bible story. We're gonna see in just a few minutes how this fits. It's amazing. But Ruth has got the ability, this, this, this woman Ruth and her mother-in-law Naomi and, and this amazing man named Boaz and the other character, listen, they got the ability to recalibrate our whole lives. You know, we all live our lives as if we were going down the road looking at a dashboard. 
And there's certain gauges that we're looking at that will tell us how we're doing. We all do it. We all have them. And oftentimes we look at gauges that say life is full and life is good. And, and man, you just want to press on the accelerator a little bit further and, and, and maybe let the windows down a little bit more and, and turn up the tunes and say, woohoo, life is awesome. But oftentimes the gauges in life that tell us that we're full really are a fallacy. We're going to see in this little book of Ruth that God has a way of, of, of taking what we look at as full and says, it's, it's empty. And what we look as empty and God says, that's, that's full. I mean, it's going to be so earth shattering that God's going to use this in a way in our lives. That we're going to say, God, make sure that I'm looking at your dashboard because the truth is you're like me and, and we have a tendency to look at the wrong dashboard. But you know what else Ruth is going to tell us? Ruth is in this little, little book of the Bible is not only going to recalibrate the whole Bible story and basically rescue it. Not only that, it's going to be able to recalibrate our own lives and kind of say, are you looking at the right gauges in life? But Ruth has the ability in four little chapters to say, God loves us in the dark. God loves, listen, when, when life doesn't make sense and when God doesn't make sense and when you're hurting that hurt that, that you never thought you could hurt before, when, when life is unraveled to the point where you think, I can't get the pieces back, I don't even know where they are. And, and, and in those moments when, when life is bleak and life stinks, we're gonna find through Ruth a God who shows up, sometimes silently. Most of the time we don't even know he's there. But he's there and he loves us in the dark. It's an amazing story. Get ready. And listen, come anticipating God to do great things. Where do you start with a story like Ruth? I mean, how do you start? Well, Ruth has been equated to a female version of Abraham. Abraham is a patriarch in the Bible. Uh, he's an amazing guy. He shows up in Genesis 12. Uh, and as God shows up to this Abraham, God says to him some fantastic promises. I mean, God, God, gets, God gets with Abraham and they, they get together and have an agreement that you wouldn't believe. It's all in God's initiative. But here's, here's what God says to Abraham. Hey, Abraham, I want to bless you. Hey, Abraham, I want to bless you. I want to be your God and, and, and you and your family, you will be my people. Okay, Abraham? Abraham, here's what we're going to do. I want to bless you so much, Abraham, that I want to bless the whole world. I mean, Abraham, the entire world through you. Unbelievably. So here's what I want you to do. Abraham, I want you to leave everything you know. I want you to leave your home. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave everything you know. And I want you to follow me. What if, what if God asked you that? What if, what if even today God says, I want you to leave everything, every gauge that tells you where you are, who you are, how you're doing, I want you to leave it all and follow me. This crazy kook named Abraham, you know what? He trusted God. He, he, he trusted God. He trusted a God who said, hey, go to a distant land. By the way, I'm going to call it a promised land. And I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to give it to your descendants. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. And I'm going to bless the whole world through you, your family. He was, he bought it, hook, line, and sinker. So, okay. God looked at his faith, the faith that God gave him, and said, that's righteousness. I'm going to credit that 
is righteousness. Well, God started telling Abraham about his family. He says, let me tell you a little bit about your family, Abraham. We're going to have some good parts of your family. We're going to have some kind of a little bit of crazy parts of the family, just like yours, just like mine. And he says, in the family line, as things start going down the line, there's going to be a famine that comes to the land, the promised land, a famine. And, and you, your family, you'll be gone, but your family, they're going to go to a place called Egypt. And that's a pagan place. That's a godless place. That's a place that, you know, God's family's not supposed to go to. But you're going to go down there and you're going to be there for like 400 years. You know, it's interesting as we fast forward and you go to Ruth and we realize that Ruth was in God's promised land. He was, she was in Bethlehem. And what caused her to go to a really kind of awful place called Moab? It was a famine. Hmm. Interesting uh, parallel there. But God says, as, listen, as, as you go, as you go to this place called Egypt, 400 years is going to happen to uh, pass. But I got to tell you some bad news. You're going to be enslaved. The family is going to be enslaved. The Egyptians, they're not going to treat you nicely. As a matter of fact, you're going to be crying out to me. But I'm going to, I'm going to listen because you're my family. I'm going to be faithful even when you're not. I'm going to be faithful. And with a mighty hand and an arch, arch, outstretched arm, I'm going to rescue the family. I'm going to rescue the family from the most powerful man in the world, the Pharaoh of Egypt. I'm going to send him plagues. Matter of fact, I'm going to send him 10. And the 10th plague is going to be, oh, it's going to be horrific. It's going to be the death of a firstborn son. But I'm going to protect you because I love my family. I'm going to protect my family. So here's what I'm going to do. Take a Passover lamb. Take a lamb, a spotless lamb. Sacrifice it. Take the blood of the lamb and put it on your door. And I'll pass over. And I'll save the family. And we're all sitting here thinking, if we know the Bible story, how cool is that? God using a lamb to save his people, to save his family. Anybody hear Jesus coming? Oh, Jesus is coming. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. But God says, I'm going to raise up a guy named Moses. And he's going to be the part of the family too. And, and he's going to lead the people uh, out of Egypt and out of slavery. And he's going to lead them. And, and they're going to go into the promised land. But they're going to wander in the desert for some 40 years. And here, just hang on with me. Because right before you get to the promised land, right before, you're just on the doorstep. Some Moabite women are going to come out. And they're going to go after the men. Can you believe it? These Moabite women. These are these, are these uh, women who walk on streets that your men shouldn't be on. And do some things that shouldn't be done. These, these skanky Moabite women took God's family and led them into sin right before the promised land. Unbelievable Moabites. Well, listen. When it comes to the Moabites... It's part of the family tree we don't like to talk about. You got that part of your family tree you don't like to talk about? We all got a family tree we don't like to talk about. We want to saw it off a little bit, kind of hide that part of the family tree. Well, let me tell you, these Moabites, they're, they're part kind of the family too. This man, Abraham, this amazing man of faith that God promises blessing to, he had a nephew. His nephew's name is Lot. Lot lived in a really bad place called Sodom and Gomorrah, and he almost got toasted himself. His wife got toasted, but he got out just by the skin of his teeth. But you know, Lot, Lot, you know, he, he, uh, he, he had this really terrible relationships with his own daughter. He actually had it with both his daughters. Do you know that part of the family tree that's called the Moabites is that Lot, Lot's daughter got him drunk they slept together 
and Lot's daughters got pregnant by the dad. And they had a child, and guess what they named the child? Moab. Guess where the Moabites come from? Moab. Okay, so, hey, let's pretend we're the first ones reading the story. Let's pretend we're the first ones that, that are hearing this story about Ruth, okay? And Ruth is going to come along on the, on the scene. And what, by the way, what do the Moabites, or what do the Israelites, what does God's family think of the Moabites? They're skanks. They're, 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 they're incestuous. These are really bad people. And so amazingly, I love this about God. He is going to take a star character that most of the people think, Mm-mm, bad news, skankville, incestuous, and make a star emerge. Well, Moses, who led him out of slavery and through the, through the desert, he, he dies. A guy named Joshua, God raises up Joshua. He's a warrior. He raises him up to take over that promised land that was promised to Abraham. And he goes into the promised land and he fights all the ites. You know, the Canaanites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, the Mosquito Bites. I mean, every pastor says it. It's always funny, all right? But he goes in and he goes in the promised land, as God said. And, and he's, but he's not ultimately successful. They, they don't really conquer at all. And you know what sad happens when he dies? There's not a godly king. When he dies, there's not a godly ruler. When he dies, that family that God promised Abraham is a mess. I mean, it's a, it's a real mess. You know what they decide to do? Hey, we don't have a godly king. So here's an idea. Let's do what's right in our own eyes. Here's an idea. Let's throw off what God says is right. Let's put aside God's word and all those terrible requirements. Let's do it feels right. If it feels good, do it, baby. And then let's just try to see life that way. It didn't work. Listen, anytime we want to live our lives according to our own eyes and what feels right, we're always going to be led astray. That's the time when Ruth appears. It says a time of judges. It's a time of judges. It's when, when the book of Judges says over and over and over again that the God's people, here's what they were doing. They, although they were his family, they were living as if they didn't even know him. I mean, it's crazy. And they were just doing what's right in their own eyes. And so they kept on getting so messed up that they were taken over. And then God would raise up a judge to rescue him. He'd raise up a savior, name like Deborah or Ehud or Samson. And everybody was just doing what felt right in their own eyes. Man, you know the whole book of Judges, you just want to say, can there be a godly king that can come rule this people? Can there be a godly king to make things right again? A king's coming. In between the book of Judges and the book of Samuel, uh, that Samuel's going to tell you about a godly king. His name is David. You ready about this godly king? Unbelievably. This godly king's got Moabite blood. Skankville blood is in King David. Skankville Moabite blood. Why? Because Ruth, in the time of Judges, in the time of Judges, this noble woman appears. And then when life bottoms out, she says, I believe in the God, the living God Almighty, and my life is going to be dedicated to him. And she becomes the great grandmother of David. And God's people, God's family, finally have a righteous king and a warrior that will lead him. But you know what? That David, man, he's, he's an adulterer. He's a skank too. He's a murderer. Is there no hope for God's people? 
Guess who's coming? Guess who's coming from the line of David? Guess who's coming who's got Moabite blood? Guess who's coming who comes from the line of Skanksville? His name's Jesus. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the truly the only one who can rescue us out of darkness. This Jesus, He'll enter into our darkness. This Jesus, He'll be broken so that we could be healed. This Jesus is coming. And Ruth, Ruth is raised up to rescue the whole story of the Bible. She's raised up so God can say, the story fits. The Moabites are a part. And I use, amazingly, a woman named Ruth to rescue the story. Okay, so that's a big picture. You got it? Ruth fits. Drop that little four-chapter book. We're in trouble. Put it in there. The whole thing makes sense. Amazing. Be blown away by it. It's incredible. But Ruth has the ability to do more than that. Ruth has the ability to reach into our lives by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. Her mother-in-law named Naomi and make sure, are you looking at the right gauges in life? What tells you you're full and what tells you you're empty? Now listen, come on, lean into this. Right now, right now, is your life full or empty? Right now, what is your life like? Right now, let me ask you the deeper question. What are you looking at? What signs, what gauges are you looking at that says that you're full or you're empty? You look at Ruth 1, and it's, a, it's an amazing story of God turning gauges upside down. Did you notice how the story begins? Its story begins with a famine. Look again at chapter 1, verse 1. Famine. Where is the famine? Bethlehem. You know what Bethlehem means? House of bread. Okay, so you have an amazing gauge. You have, you have God's house of bread in the, in the promised land, and there's a famine. And the famine's so bad that a family's going to move from God's promised land, uh, God's provision, to a place called Moab that uh, Psalm 68 says is basically God's washboard. It's a throwaway. It's the incestuous city. It's the Skankville. And we don't know for sure how, if it was sinful for them to leave. It doesn't tell us that, but it blows us away. The book starts with a famine and it ends, the chapter ends with a barley far, uh, uh, harvest. And then you have the main character emerge. You have Naomi. Naomi has a husband named Elimelech. Elimelech's name means this, our God is king. Isn't that a cool name? Isn't it great being married to a guy that every time you call his name, you're reminded that our God is king, my God is king. That's her name. And two boys, and I don't know what's up with the boys, but the two boys' names basically mean this, sick and sickly, teeny and tiny. That's what their names are. Okay, so she says, she says she, leaves, she leaves Bethlehem full. Really, who leaves Bethlehem, the house of God, full? Her gauges are broken. Naomi's gauges are broken because she says she's full when she leaves Bethlehem. Really, isn't she empty? I mean, who leaves the promised land to go to Moab that's full? Nobody. You don't change your life when it's full. You don't change your life when all's going good. When life is great, you just sit back and say, yeah, her life is not full, it's empty. Do you know how long it takes God to clear away the stage of every man in the story in chapter one? Five chapters, five verses. 
Five verses. Within five verses, this woman, whose name means pleasant, whose name means beautiful, here's what she had. She had a, a husband's name who said, my, my, my God is king. She had two sons. Although they have funky names, she had basically a double insurance plan. For a woman in that culture, she has a man to protect her. And if something happens to Elimelech, by the way, he dies, it did. She's got two insurance plans, two boys. Five verses. They're all gone. They're all gone. And what does Naomi have left? Two Moabite daughter-in-laws. How long has she had those daughter-in-laws? It says 10 years. How long has, uh, how many grandchildren does she have after 10 years? Zippo. She is, she says, listen, I'm just absolutely empty. Verse six, it says that she finds out that God had blessed and there's a crop back in Bethlehem because we got to always realize that God is the one who brings us barrenness and he's the one who brings us a crop. God's the one who opens the womb. God's the one who closes the womb. And Naomi goes back and she's going back with all that she's got left and all that she's got left is not much. I'm telling you, it's not much. She's got two Moabite daughter-in-laws, but they're going to look after her and try to take care of her back in this foreign land. And it's amazing, but, but Naomi does the most noble thing she does in chapter one. It's incredibly noble. She she stops as they're getting out of town. She says, listen, go back home. You got no future with me. You got no hope with me. Really, you, you just, you need to go back home. Go back home and find a husband, get married, and may God richly bless you. Orpah takes the reasonable way out and says, yeah, I'm going back to my people. I'm going back to my God, Chemish. He may ask for a child sacrifice, but I'm going back. But this crazy woman named Ruth, I says, I'm going nowhere. This crazy, listen, let's look at Ruth's gauge for a minute. Who in their right mind chooses God when everything bottoms out? What is the matter with Ruth? Okay, I know she's a Moabite, so she's got one strike against her. She loses her husband. Her sister-in-law loses her, her husband. Her mother-in-law loses her husband. She's got absolutely nothing, no prospects, and she's going to leave all of that, go to a foreign land, be a widow in a foreign land. I mean, talk about bottom of the barrel. That's Ruth. Who in their right mind chooses God and says, I want to follow that God who's brought all this upon me and say, I want to live my life for them. I got to tell you right now, I've never heard a stronger argument that God chooses us and we don't choose him. Because I'm telling you, humanly speaking, there's no way that Ruth is going to say, your God, my God, your people, my people, where you go, I go. But Ruth experienced something that I pray and hope that all of us experience, and it's this. God's life-changing, amazing love in the darkness when there's absolutely nothing, a God who shows up and a God who loves and a God who promises. And somehow in the midst of that darkness, Ruth believed. You know, when Naomi went home, Naomi was so battered by life. She was so bruised by life that she was not even recognizable. I mean, the bags under her eyes, the baggage of her life, that when she walked back into Bethlehem, people were saying, is that really Naomi? Is that pleasant? Is that the beautiful one? Do you know that life was so miserable to her that she says, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. Here's what I love about Naomi. 
she doesn't try to clean up the story. She has this love of God. And you know what? Naomi's statement of faith is almost as crazy as Ruth's. Because she's going to trust God enough to tell the truth. Here's what she says. She says, God has dealt my this hand. God has taken it away. I'm putting this right at the feet of God. He's the one who's messed with me. He's the one who has given and taken away. It's God. Unbelievably, Naomi doesn't feel like she's got to cover him up. She loves him enough in the dark to know she can be honest to you. It's incredible. Do you know this? Do you know that God loves you too much? Listen, do you know, this is my closing point. Do you know that God loves you too much not to mess with the gauges that you're looking at that tell you you have life when you don't, that tell you that you're full when you're empty? Do you know that God loves you too much to let you live your life with the world's gauges that will allow you to fly into mountains and crash into oceans? Do you know that God is going to interrupt your life and he's going to allow things into your life that you're going to know the blessed reality that he and he alone is the gauge we're to look at in life? Listen, he's not a killjoy. And he's not just trying to mess with our lives to mess with our lives. But he, he wants us to be able to look at him and say, this is where we find life. This is where we find meaning. This is where we find pleasantness. This is bitterness. And I, I got to tell you, as a pastor, I don't want to mess in with my gauges. I'm kind of comfortable with them. I mean, when, when, when God brought cancer into our family, into my wife's life, I'm like, not her, me. Not her. God, don't lead us into this darkness. Don't, don't lead us into this journey. But you know, it was through that journey that I've never seen him so real. I mean, I've never prayed so hard. I mean, he showed up. He was real. He was there. It was amazing. I swear I heard him. And, and somehow I, I have an idol of my family. Don't touch him, God. Sometimes I, I want to look at the life's gauges and say, I, I, I want to be successful. I want your approval. I want the money. Those things tell me I'm full and I feel good about it. God says, I love you too much, Jeff. I love you too much to let you look at gauges that are just going to fly you into mountains. I'm going to break them. I'm going to show you real gauges of life and life abundantly. I'm going to show you that I love you in the dark. I'm going to show you that I don't even have an exit strategy to stop loving you. How many people have a GPS? After every wrong turn, it says recalculating. After every wrong turn, it says recalculating, trying to figure out how to get you where you're going from all the mistakes you just made. Can you imagine if a GPS said to you, you're on your own, knucklehead. <laughs> That's one bad turn too many. I, you know what? Good luck getting home from there. Do you know that God never says to us, good luck getting home from here. You've just turned one too many times down the wrong street. You've just done one too many things that were wrong. You've just messed up one too many times. You're on your own. 
Listen, what Ruth tells us, the story of Ruth is that a God that's going to show up in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our darkness, in the worst day, in the dark night of our soul, and he's going to be right there, and he's going to wrap his arms around us, and he's going to say, I'm going to love you. I'll never let you go. You Listen, you're full in me. You've got life in me. You've got abundance in me. The, the world may say your gauges are empty, but in me you're full. How do we know how we adjust our gauges? We've got to spend time with him. We've got to spend time in his word. I mean, I'm going through a new Bible this year. It's a new living translation. And God really pressed upon my heart. You can't read the Bible this year without a pen in your hand and a notebook in your, in your lap. Because I want to talk to you. Because I want to readjust some of your gauges. Because I want to show you what fullness is. And I, I want to reveal to you some emptiness. I got to tell you, I'm seven for seven. Today's the eighth. I'm going to get there, all right? It's been a rough morning. And sometimes God's readjusting my gauges, and I'm just like, God, can you hurry up, God? He is talking. He's speaking. We've got to get into God's word. We've got to be the blessed men and women who live according, not according to our own eyes, but according to his path for us in a way that is blessed, in a way that brings us life, in a way, listen, listen, my brothers and sisters, will you join me this year? Can we trust God enough to bring our junk every Sunday? And can we, can we, can we trust God to come under his word and say, God, you're going to love us in the dark. There's, there's never going to be a wrong turn that we're going to take this year that he's going to yell back, you're on your own. Here's what he's going to say to you. Here's what he's saying to me. Recalculating. Recalculating. I've not lost one yet. You're coming home. I got you. Trust me. Trust me. Let me recalibrate your gauges. Look full into my wonderful face. You're my beloved. Let us pray. Father God, just uh, the truth that I shared is only a small truth that you know of, of how much I love the world's gauges and how much I want to live my life with those gauges on full and the radio blasted and the window down and, and just enjoying life that I think is abundant. But God, I thank you that you love me too much. And I thank you that you love Orangewood too much to look at gauges that are worldly gauges. That God, you're basically gonna love us enough to show us that life and life abundantly is found in you and you alone. God, we thank you that you mess with our gauges and so that we can truly have life and life abundantly. God, come and meet us here at Orangewood. Come and be with us. Teach us. Be our teacher. Thank you for Ruth. Thank you for a woman with skanky blood that rescues the story. The story of the Bible. A woman with skanky blood that finds her bloodline to Jesus. Thank you for that because my skanky blood could be yours. We could be a part of the family. Thank you for becoming broken, Jesus, so that we could find our way home. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.